Hi guys, and welcome back to the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Aiden. And your fellow host, Tom. And your fellow host, Jake. I'm fired up this week. Um, I'm excited to bring you guys this week's uh, episode. Um, It's episode, I think, 23 of the podcast, episode three of our Foundations uh, of Freedom series. And this week we'll be covering the life of Thomas Jefferson. So I'm pretty darn excited about this. Um, Spent quite some time researching, uh, probably too many man hours at work listening to other podcasts and and doing research. Um, But but that's all right. You know, we wanted to bring you guys the best show we could tonight. So we're prepared for it. Uh, But I do want to start out with just this thought. Um, After all this research, I came to the conclusion that Thomas Jefferson was the dreamer that made America the land of the free, the home of the brave. And so I'm excited tonight to talk about this crucial crucial player in our nation's founding. Um, So yeah, I I don't know if you guys have any words of wisdom before we get started um, that you want to share, but I I found this this week super fascinating doing research. didn't think I was going to learn all that much, to be completely honest. I thought I knew everything I had to know about Thomas Jefferson. And then once again, research proved me wrong and showed me that I was an idiot, um, which usually yeah. happens. Usually I think <laughs> I'm an expert and then I do a bunch of research and then I'm like, oh man, I'm really an idiot. Yeah. I mean, he was definitely a unique character as we'll dive into even, even by the standards of his day. Yeah, he was like a anomaly, like seriously, like he was super smart. And then he was like super, um, like just super, super firmly like rooted in the belief that like people could like reach this level of perfection. But at the same time, like he was so deeply, like there's certain things he was so flawed about and he was perfect at some things and just deeply flawed in other things. So I think he's like the perfect, perfect example of like what it is to be human, like we're we can we can you know be really good at certain things but at the same time have our have pretty serious flaws yeah totally and i was um just listening to the mike and kelly podcast here and um just learning about kind of like his strengths were so strong but his weaknesses were so weak like he had like this huge like um what do you call it like a it's almost like a seesaw like he'd be really good at one thing and then his weakness would kind of tip him the other way and then he'd come back up and <clears throat> i was surprised to hear that because i thought he would be a great orator as well as a writer based on how well he wrote so i found it very surprising that he was more of an introvert and less outgoing than others in his time yeah i think uh he's the perfect proof that you can't be perfect at everything right you can you can be really good at some things but you'll never be you'll never be perfect at everything and um you know no matter how hard you strive for perfection there's you know we're human so we'll never be completely perfect but um yeah do you guys want to start with his early life because i think his early life really set the tone um for a lot of the stuff he did as president um as well as just you know, some of the things he he did later on in life and who he was as a person, I think his early life really set the tone for that. 
Um, so should we, I think we should probably start with his early life. Um, it, I, you know, so Jefferson was um, born in Virginia um, and he was like from birth enveloped in, um, I think what would become like one of his like greatest like moral dilemmas in life, which was slavery. So he was born into a slave owning family. He was born into, you know, a fairly wealthy family that owned a plantation and owned slaves. Um, from a young age, he was, uh, a, a, you know, a pretty prolific scholar. Um, he knew seven languages. Um, he spent the large portion of his first 20 years of his life reading, which I thought was fascinating. You know, like you, you don't realize the importance of like a well-read, um, well-learned person. And I think, you know, Washington was a, a great example of that. Um, but Jefferson really took that to a whole nother level. Uh, in that, I think it was the Megan, was it the Megan Kelly podcast where, um, where they were talking about how he would spend like 12 to 15 hours a day for almost 20 years of his early life reading, which I'm like, you know, you think about doing anything, you know, working for 12 hours a day, that is crazy. But, um, you know, reading 12 to 15 hours a day, it's no wonder that he was um, the scholar and writer he was, um, and really a perfection, perfectionist when it came to writing, um, spending all that time reading. Um, so yeah, I mean, extremely, extremely successful um, in those regards. And I think we can all learn the importance of, you know, self-education through an example like Jefferson. Um, and yeah, he, I mean, he was, uh, I mean, if, if you, if you question his um, ability to be an amazing scholar, I mean, he wrote the Declaration of Independence at 33. And I mean, if you look at that, that's probably one of the most important documents ever written not only in the in United States history, but also in world history. So that's pretty darn impressive, especially at 33. Um, and I think he was probably the best writer out of the founding fathers. And even John Adams recognized that. John Adams went to him and um, you know, basically was like, hey, I need you to write something <laughs> because I can't do it. <laughs> it's gotta be good. <laughs> it's gotta be really good. And I'm not good enough to do that. I think it was one of the few times John Adams like recognized <laughs> that he wasn't the man for the job. Um, but yeah, I don't know what you guys think. I mean, it was, I mean, just that alone was incredible. I mean, the feat of reading and education to that extent really, really impressed me. Yeah, I went back and was reading some of those. Well, first of all, I read the declaration before this just to get a feel for his style of writing. And yeah, I was I was taken aback by how just the manner in which he expresses himself. I've never never really seen anything like it, but I mean it's so clear and at the same time he packs so much into into few words he doesn't get like a lot of good writers even will get overly wordy and tend to maybe i don't know show off a little bit but this with this it's straight to the point but 
at the same time extremely eloquent as well so yeah it was it was impressive to read through that and some of his other writings that I was researching yeah I was I thought of it almost his writing is almost electrifying I mean it's electric right like there's so much meaning packed into um the like what I like to think of is the you know the minimum requirement of words to invoke such passion and such meaning um never a wasted word he he said everything but never too much like it was always just he got he got to the point but he also like it wasn't too little which i i thought was interesting um and i think i maybe you guys know this but you know i used to like when i first learned about jefferson i learned about like obviously him writing the declaration and one of the things they said was he like he literally i think had like over a hundred drafts of the declaration that he threw out before he like got to the actual final document it was something crazy like that like he he wanted to he was like so focused on perfecting this piece of um this piece of writing you know so hyper focused on this he didn't want to say anything that was wasteful, anything that wasn't necessary. And he wanted to make sure it all got into this document. That's amazing. Wow. Like a hundred times. Yeah. Could you imagine? I mean, <laughs> wow. I, I, I don't know if I could write my own name a hundred times, <laughs> let alone <laughs> a declaration of, of, of this caliber. I mean, it's, it's truly impressive. Um, but I think, I think part of that stems from his belief um, and his, his belief that, uh, that humans could be uh, almost perfected or should strive for perfection. Um, and he held himself and others in this very high moral and like virtue-based standard um and he really believed that the american people too um could like achieve this high um moral and vir virtuous um standard and and he believed it was critical for the for the success of the of the american republic um so i thought that was i thought that was interesting obviously you know there's a lot of debate around like whether he was a, a virtuous person. I think we'll get to some of those things later, but I think that like, I think that um, that moral virtue st based standard really drove him to be the best version of himself that he felt like he could be and, and tried to also push those around him to achieve that same, that same level, that same standard. Um, and one of the other things that I found really interesting, at least, um, in his early life and kind of studies was his fascination, um, with other countries, especially European countries, uh, food, music, art, and culture. And, um, he really believed that. Um, a country's worth was based around this culture rather than its military prowess or conquests. 
And I thought that was something really kind of cool and interesting because if you look at some of the other founders, they really focused on, um, like if you look at Hamilton, for instance, Hamilton really wanted to push um, the United States America to be this great financial economic superpower um, rather than focusing on building this you know strong um, culture and I think so that that balance of having Jefferson in the in the mix of the founding fathers to be this strong um, you know kind of voice for for building what it means what it, what it meant to be American and building this American culture and bringing food and music and art and all these things into into what it means to be American. I thought that was really neat. And I think that's something maybe we lose sight of now today too, is like a lot of times I think people focus on, okay, like our military conquests, you know, our, our economy, all these things. And don't get me wrong, those things are extremely important, but the culture itself really defines what an, who a nation is and, and um, what value they have to offer. Totally. Uh, Aiden, I, I was really surprised to hear about that too. It makes sense though, seeing, thinking about Monticello. Um, I don't know if you could like pull up a picture of that either on our screen, but... Um, I'll see if I can find one. Okay. Uh, but like, yeah, that was really interesting too. Uh, um, in the Megyn Kelly interview, um, the guy she was interviewing said that um, Madison I think it was Madison, brought him over to uh, France as the ambassador for the US. Um, and how he was there for five years and that kind of like rebooted his system after kind of some feelings back in America, especially with him uh, not being a very strong leader for Virginia. Um, people were pretty upset with how he didn't really take the reins when the British were conquering kind of let things fall um but yeah it, it was really interesting how he really wanted to have like almost like the magnificence of a peaceful life be the prominent thing that america stands for um and it's really interesting how you were talking about the difference between hamilton and jefferson because i think most of the americans that are our best warriors like seals and all of our veterans and active duty like the hardest fighters are usually the ones that love peace the most like absolutely yeah it's really interesting i think you have to i think i think you have to have a value and appreciation for that peace because that's you know at, at the core that's that's what you're out there defending and fighting for um i don't know if you guys can see this picture i just pulled up a picture this is monticello um this is just a, a picture of the outside let me see if i can find some other ones um I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful place, and uh, he spent much of his his time and money. You know, uh, uh, this one's not a great picture. Let's see if I can find. He spent so much of his time and money dumping it into Monticello, actually to his financial detriment. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he he really valued the arts um, and culture of so many different, um, you know, European um cultures and uh yeah he was a he really was a student of that i don't know if you guys can see this picture here this is a picture from the inside of monticello but uh really incredible i mean um 
Yeah, I think I think too a lot of that a lot of that deep appreciation uh, for peace um, was you know part of part of how who he was and how he was raised. I mean, he grew up he was a southerner. Um, you know, we really don't. I mean, I guess you do think of uh, Virginia as the South, um, but at the at the time, Virginia really was like the 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 deep South, so to speak, uh, in the in the colonies. Um, but it really was a, a farming um, colony. Um, and a lot of the people in Virginia and a lot of the other southern states really valued that, um, you know, farming culture. And a lot of them were very, you know, peaceful people that just just wanted to live their lives and and didn't want, you know, they didn't they didn't want to have this great big government um, and and they didn't want to have all this all the centralized control. And I think it scared a lot of them. Um, and they were really, I think that they were kind of the catalyst for, in many ways for, um, the American revolution, because they wanted to, you know, get away from that, that monarchy, that control. Um, they wanted to live a, a peaceful life that was uninterrupted, um, by a lot of the things that, um, monarchies at the time, you know, kind of ruined. And, uh, so I think, I think it's really interesting to see, you know, especially Jefferson compared to some of the other founders, um, the lifestyle and, and their own personal lives, how that influenced their beliefs and, and their, um, yeah, their beliefs on, on how the U.S. government should be structured and run. And I thought that was, yeah, really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it really is interesting to see all of these different characters in action, like um, how Jefferson really wanted the government to be decentralized. And then like how he almost um, maybe took it a step too far when they needed someone to say yes or no, that he was just putting his duty onto someone else rather than taking control. and. Um, getting them through the situation and then go back to peaceful times where we didn't have to worry about anything but um yeah like how the south definitely was like a place more for agriculture and the north was embracing lots of new technologies faster and they saw like the north as being like hyper centralized and kind of becoming a thing that they didn't want, which eventually I think led to civil war. Um, but it's really interesting to see how those those opinions and also ideals were in such big tension even from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I that was one of the things that really fascinated me and I'm I'm looking forward to, you know, when we when we discuss later in this series the Civil War I didn't realize that from the, the start, from the very founding of our nation, there was this, there was a divide between the North and the South and, and, um, and really kind of the belief systems of both. And, and it played such a, a pivotal role in the founding of our nation. And it was something that uh, I don't, I don't know if today it has been completely resolved. I think there's still a very large cultural difference 
between the North and the South to, to a certain extent. And, um, you know, it was very, very apparent at this time. And yeah, something I totally didn't realize. I, I wasn't aware that there was such a, such a great divide in, in kind of ideals and thoughts. Um, but it's really, really interesting because I think it's still something, like I said, we deal with to a certain extent today. Um, maybe not necessarily the North and the South, but um, more so, you know, the urban areas or in the more rural areas of the United States. Um, so I think that's a, it's a, it's a really interesting balance because I think without one, we couldn't have had, um, with one, you couldn't have had the other. And I don't think America would have been or would have become what it is today without one or the other. Um, it, yeah, it's really, really interesting. Um, yeah, it was interesting you brought up that that point, Tom, that Jefferson really kind of fell short when it came to being this like decisive leader. I think they talked about it in that in that um, that that Megan Kelly podcast. How I think he was the governor of Virginia, and during the war, it just kind of he kind of let it just go, and he got in a little bit of trouble and almost got in trouble for treason because he just kind of let the to a certain extent, the, the British kind of come in and take take over um, because he wasn't a fighter at all. He was a scholar. He didn't want to ha have anything to do with the fighting. Um, and, you know, unlike a lot of the other founders, he didn't fight in the revolution. Um, but he really was he was really involved. He, he still believed in the revolution. It was just uh, more so of uh, this uh, this duty. He felt like they had to fight against fight back against tyranny. But he himself did not really involve himself necessarily with the the actual fighting itself. Yeah, he did have that awkward moment um, during the revolution, right, where the British were actually about to storm. This is when he was governor of Virginia, about to storm uh, the governor's mansion, and he. He actually fled out into the forest um, and waited, waited, I guess, until they either passed through his house or I, I, they didn't really explain in the podcast what happened afterwards, if he waited for negotiations to happen or or uh, or whatever else. But anyway, yeah, I thought that was, uh, I mean, it was probably embarrassing for him at the time, but also I think he knew his limitations. He knew that he wasn't. Um, he wasn't the man to stand up and deliver some uh, war-altering speech to the enemy that would convince them to stand down. So I think I think it was a testament to his humility, which he later later displayed in um, during the presidency when he wanted to keep it keep it more low key, have a more um, a more casual role, not not be as prominent as we see the leaders are today. Yeah, he was definitely like, I don't want to be like stereotypical. He was like a laid back Southern boy, you know, he was a good old boy. And he really like, I mean, he, he somewhat embodied that. He just kind of was chill. Um, yeah, you point out that <laughs> him, him as president, he was often criticized for like being far too laid back. And I think there was like a, a anecdote in, in that podcast too, where they talked about um, somebody coming over, some diplomat coming over from, you know, the, 
the um, Great Britain, and they were just disgusted by with how he, how the this new this new republic, this White House was running because you know Jefferson was just like totally laid back, um, and I thought that was I hilarious. Think, I thought that was I fantastic. Think, I think the word they used, the diplomats, said it was. Like his vulgarity was what they were turned off by. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, yeah, we think of him as the last, the furthest thing that could be from vulgarity. But yeah, yeah, it just again, just shows what a, what a unique, um, a unique character he was at mm-hmm. that point in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really hated the monarchy. He hated everything about monarchies. And, uh, you know, he really let everybody know that, uh, know that, you know, him and Adams kind of, you know, they were good friends at first and then they kind of went head to head a little bit. They had a great relationship, him and Adams did. And, um, and Adams was kind of this like pompous, you know, he want pompous guy, fat man. And I just think of like, uh, I don't know what I think Adams of. I almost think of him and, you know, this isn't like in any way, shape or form and, uh, you know, a respectful or adequate description of Adams, but I kind of think of him as like, like a JB Pritzker type, like kind of roly poly, like kind of arrogant man. I know he wasn't that bad, guys. You know, for those of you who are listening, that's the, the governor of Illinois currently. But I just kind of think of Adams as this kind of like roly poly, kind of arrogant man. And Adams, when he became president, you know, he really like, he was all about that, that like, sort of monarchy type look as, as the president. He wanted to make, uh, you know, give, uh, you know, Washington uh, this really high title and Washington obviously turned that down. But, you know, I think when Jefferson came in, he tried to reverse a lot of the stuff Adams did. I, I don't know if it was, um, I think a little bit was probably out of spite for Adams at the time. I don't, I don't think they were getting along at that point. Um, but it, it was, yeah, it's, it's somewhat comical. Like it just was the com- complete polar opposites and it's, it's quite amusing actually. I think we need to come out with a t-shirt, Aiden. If Jefferson was alive today, I think he would be like a Southern boy, like surfing. And then he'd be like, nah, bro, freedom's the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's really what it, like what his character kind of embodied though <laughs> like honestly he was just like this like super chill kind of dude like i could just see him like hanging out like i don't know yeah hanging out on the farm you know packing it packing a lip and just kind of hanging out and drinking some you know that's that's probably a little too uh that's probably a little too um you know probably what he would consider you know not you know civilized because he was he was a he was a connoisseur of the the fine arts you know he liked his wine and all that stuff but you know i just i just think of jefferson as kind of this like really chill laid-back dude from the south with a southern accent and yeah probably probably not <laughs> anything like anything like that in real life but you know that's just kind of what i envision him as but yeah, yeah. no yeah, <laughs> fascinating, fascinating character. Oh yeah, like I was, it was really surprising, like um, how how much he believed in what he wrote about. But then it seemed like when he got to the position of where he could make things happen, he kind of stood back. Which is surprising. Maybe it was just like him 
like trying to figure out how to apply his ideas. But it seemed like everyone else really ran with them because I mean, everyone loved the declaration. Um, they loved what he wrote. People were like that pamphlet that was spread out um, in 74. Um, and it just made him so respected. People were like, man, this is the guy. And I, I wonder if maybe he just was lacking a bit of self-confidence, if that's why he was maybe a little more um, naive, per se, um, when it came to confronting problems. But what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I don't know if it was um, him being naive or if he was just such an absolutist in his belief that America should be this republic um, that was run by the people that he didn't want to overstep in any way. Um, that was kind of the vibe I got. I, I felt like he was like, you know, they talked about the Louisiana Purchase, um, which is arguably one of the, the, the greatest moments in the growth of America, right? Uh, in our history. Uh, we purchased uh, what would now probably be about 13 states worth of land. And um, we purchased it from Napoleon for, he purchased it from Napoleon for $16.5 million, which, uh, which probably at the time was a lot of money. When you look back on it, you're like, whoa, <laughs> what a great deal. Um, it was like three, three cents an acre, which is ridiculous. Um, but he was, he was super torn by that. And that was like his greatest moment as like arguably one of the greatest uh, moments in his presidency. Um, if you look at it and he was very torn about this because he felt like the Louisiana purchase was unconstitutional. He didn't feel like the federal government had the, the right to, to do that as stated in the constitution. So I feel like he was a constitutional absolutist in, in many ways. And I think that was maybe one of the reasons he was very timid in doing anything that overstepped his bounds. And he actually wrote two drafts um he wrote several i think i think it was two amendments he drafted two amendments to the constitution to actually you know get get the louisiana purchase to go through and james madison was like dude come on uh you don't have to be a a, a prude and 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 do this and he kind of convinced him to just go ahead with it um, which turned out to probably be one of the single most important decisions ever made in any presidency argu arguably um but yeah i think i think part of that like i don't know if he was yeah he lacked the confidence or if he was just such an absolutist in his beliefs that he was just very timid very very reserved about overstepping those constitutional um rights in any way Yeah, he strikes me as the type to maybe, maybe by temperament, prefer to be the, the guy that comes up with the ideas, but maybe isn't comfortable asserting himself and putting them into action. I think he, just from what we've seen looking at the Louisiana Purchase, I think that probably could be extended to every decision, um, every major decision, I think. He seemed to second guess himself um, quite a bit. So yeah, I think he definitely was not, it wasn't in his comfort zone to be the one making the final call. 
So it probably it had to have been a major challenge for him being in a position of leadership, such as the president, and is probably the reason that he, at least part of the reason that he stepped down and actually made it pretty clear that he really didn't enjoy it at all. Yeah, I think he hated being in the public eye. It really sounded like he detested everything about that, which is hilarious when you think of politicians today, because isn't that the reason most politicians exist today, uh, being in the public eye? Yeah, he was like polar opposite. He's like, I want to get out of here. I want to go back to my farm. He's like, I've had enough of this crap. I wrote you the declaration. I've given you all this stuff. You should be able to figure it out by now. Come on, like, come on, guys. It's not that hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think he just I think yeah I think at by the by the time his presidency was over he's like all right you know I've done my job I you know I've I've served my country I've done my duty it's time to pass the torch and and leave all this you know crazy publicity behind. Yeah, uh, that was really interesting too, and how it reminds me of the contention that, that he had when his first election as president. Um, how it was him and the second runner, they both had 73 electoral votes. And like it was like this fight, and they called it like almost like the second revolution because each side was ready to start a militia and start a war to get their president in. And Jefferson said, like, if I don't become president, America may fail. It's really interesting, like, how he, he was like, this needs to happen. And it did ultimately, but still, that, that was pretty crazy to think about how there wasn't a contingency in place for a tie. And so he had to step up and say, you know, this is what should happen. And I think by him saying that probably is what saved that whole situation from going down poorly because people respected him a lot still, even though he did have some problems for sure. But I think they still respected him for what he wrote and what he helped start. But they knew that he still had a lot of that still in him. Yeah, I mean, it really, <laughs> You know, we look at a lot of the, the the controversies that have happened over the past few years, like January 6th and all these things, and it really puts it in perspective. Like, we like to think we're in the most, like, divisive um, political time that we've ever been in. But, yeah, think about that. The country barely been around for 10 years, and they were already ready to split up and secede and go to war over over a presidential election. I mean, it didn't take any time at all. Um, yeah, that was crazy. I, I didn't realize that at all. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think, um, him stepping up was, was, uh, was monumental in, 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 uh, in keeping the, the country together. And I think it was really what was best for the country at the time. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, like, was it better that the country's still together or would it have been better if it parts had broken off based on what they thought was right? And I think it's a big question, but I think by listening to what Jefferson 
was thinking about and what he was planning and doing and what he thought was right seems to have had a lot of influence on in how even though he was from the south and he thought more of an anti-federalist government how do we say he still thought it would be better to be united so it's, it's really interesting because you know hamilton who was saying like no we should be truly centralized super strong world dominating power Jefferson's saying no we need to have the ability to defend ourselves but we need to focus our own people and then and it almost seemed like those two ideas really started to merge in human uh american history so now we have people that embrace both who are like you know we need to be strong and defend ourselves because we want to live in peace and have the good life that america gives us and so i wonder you know like i don't know if you guys have um there's this book that saint augustine wrote called city of god um such huge book it's really good he talks about pretty much like everything that happened in the roman empire and then like history throughout like different kingdoms and religions and he said that god has a very like you can see that there's a trajectory for human civilization and that has been that each person is brought onto a more playing level playing field of what they do with their own lives um so Tocqueville actually talked a lot about this he was saying that america is like the the true first implementation of democracy in the sense of democracy being a place where everyone starts at the same place um and through that people can set themselves apart based on how they grow in their skills rather than in the old systems of if you were born into it or if you were born into wealth or these things it was all pretty much like handed to you where now it was like you have to make it happen um and it actually showed that this idea of like each person making their life happen based on how responsible they are as it shows and demonstrates how christian ideas actually lean much more to that than they do to just being given something and therefore you have, should deserve it rather than showing that you should be responsible and therefore have it so it's just a, a thought i've been really thinking about recently and it's, it's so interesting to see how this really played out with our history especially since we were called the american experiment can people govern themselves and i think the evidence has been by far yes more than no it's when people try to take away our ability to govern ourselves that we lose our, our human dignity almost like when you someone tries to tell you how to live that yeah i think um yeah i think i think too that 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 plays into this this um this idea Jefferson had that that people had this certain level of um, like personal responsibility to perfect themselves to the greatest extent that they could um, and to hold themselves with uh, 
hold themselves against such a, a high a high moral code and standard because when you have um, individuals that are working on them working on bettering themselves um, on a personal level and, and then they bring that um, same level of um, effort uh, to to um, governing their nation, it, it's a recipe for success. And I think that's something that's really, really cool. And I think that's something Jefferson really believed in it. He, he believed in, um, you know, the, the individual um, bettering himself um, and, and that lending to a strong um, republic as he, as he saw it. Uh, so I think you're totally right there, Tom. And I think there's, I think there's a, a lot of truth to a society that has um, men and women that are very, very um, virtuous and, and disciplined. I think those societies tend to, to function better because it's just an overall, um, it, it lends to a more virtuous uh, and uh, moral setting for uh, a country to function on so i thought i think you're totally right there should we cover a little bit i know we covered this a little bit in one of our previous podcasts but i think you know a conversation about jefferson i think has to include a little bit of the of the rivalry between jefferson and hamilton and um one of the things that i don't know if we talked about a whole lot in the last, uh, the last time we discussed Jefferson and Hamilton um, in this podcast. But one of the things that really stood out to me is Jefferson really hated national debt. He thought national debt was a national disgrace, which I really love. Uh, whereas you had, or that, that's what Jefferson thought. And then you had Hamilton who thought that, you know, we could build our economy through national debt. And so you kind of had these diametrically opposed um, people on this on this issue of debt. What do you guys think about that? Because I think that's really interesting. Because I think both have really valid and interesting points. Um, I, yeah, I just like to get your guys's thoughts on that. I, I thought it was a, a interesting conversation and one that really stood out to me. Um, it was, I think, brought uh, to mind in that history doesn't suck podcast that I shared with you guys this week about the, the rivalry between Jefferson and Hamilton. Yeah, I know. Um, I just think, I know Thomas would be turning over in his grave today if he saw the amount of power our central bank has to raise interest rates uh, on a whim um, as well as, you know, just the amount, the sheer amount of centralization, I would say even Hamilton would think it's gone too far. And again, I won't beat a dead horse here. I know we've discussed this on other uh, previous podcasts, but um, yeah, I think, where was I going with this? I'm trying to remember um, something I heard on the Megan Kelly podcast how and now it's not coming to me i forgot where i was going with that my bad no worries <laughs> um yeah 
I, the thing I, I go back and forth with is like, I know Jefferson believed that the national debt was something that was, that should be completely avoided. And then you had Hamilton who wanted to use it to build the economy. I go back and forth on would America be the financial, would, would they have had the financial success? Would they have had the success as a nation without the, um, without the national bank? Um, and, and having this, this bond, um, this bond system and, and national debt, I, it's something I go back and forth on. Cause you like, it's, it's hard to play, you know, if, you know, it, you know, look back in hindsight and say, you know, this would have, you know, Jefferson's viewpoint would have completely fixed all the issues we have today, but at the same time, would we've had the success we would have had without the national bank. I, I just don't like, it's, it's a really tough, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a thing I go back and forth on. Tom, do you have any, any thoughts on that? This is really interesting. Um, I, so I learned that the national bank was actually taken down two times in American history before the federal reserve was put up. So it's always been a big battle. And the main reason that it was taken down is because um, many of the people that saw the National Bank realized that a centralized banking system is one of the principles of communism. It's actually in the Communist Manifesto. So um, I think they the smart Americans saw that there was a power grab and it was still in the way from American citizens. And I think if you actually look at how the economy runs, America would actually be much bigger in the sense that it was much stronger um, than it would be now if we didn't have a central bank. Um, uh, actually, as an example, there's this there's this website you guys should check out. It's called WTHAPPENED1971.com. And it's literally a chart of like how everything just destroyed after 71, after we went off the gold standard. Like diverse divorce rates skyrocketed, like wages decreased, costs increased. Like everything bad you can imagine kind of happened after the 70s. And if you look at the 70s, the main companies are like the parts of the government that took over, like the EPA, um, DOJ, DOD, all these three letter organizations that were never part of the constitution just started to blow up and they kept getting more and more power to start regulate more and tax more of uh, Americans. So I think Jefferson is definitely right on this. I think Hamilton was a little bit you know, there's like that saying, you get attracted by shiny objects. I think Hamilton may have been in that class, your club. Because, you know, if he understood, I think, more what economy is built from, I don't think he would have wanted a national bank. Because before the Federal Reserve was made, there were six different currencies in American currency in the US. So they were doing okay, do better actually. Hmm. I think that's a that's a pretty valid point. I liked um, 
I liked uh, Jefferson's idea of using um, actual uh, precious metals as our as our currency rather than paper because you know precious metals never really I mean you, they don't lose their they don't lose their value like you know you can inflate and deflate you know the value of, of paper money it's kind of fake right but precious metals you still have some value there even if the uh, currency itself is 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 not doing great um, yeah it, it's it's pretty interesting the other thing I thought that was interesting is he really didn't want to have um, presidents or politicians or any figures on currency because he felt like that was too um, too much of a uh, of a trait of a monarchy. He wanted to have like you know like the buffalo and things like that on, on currency. So you know I thought it's kind of funny because he's on he's on the nickel and the in the in the two dollar bill today. So I wonder if, if Jefferson's you know rolling over. <laughs> It is great, but he's probably he's probably thankful at least that they're not like the most important you know uh, values in currency. I mean, I don't know if you guys use a two dollar bill or a nickel all, <laughs> all that often to buy something, um, but yeah, I I I thought that was an interesting little anecdote there that yeah he just he really detested it, and I can understand why. Um, I think uh, it, it takes away from the the real value and the in the meaning behind um, a currency to a certain extent, um, but yeah, I did kind of like his idea. Um, this was on the Megan Kelly podcast. Just came back to me um, of how if he thought that if the government exceeded the national debt that it should immediately dissolve itself. Like it wasn't worthy of being called a government or having any type of authority. <laughs> um, if it was that, if it was so reckless as to exceed its budget. So I don't know. I feel, if he was alive today, I feel like alive and in power. I wonder, wonder what he would have, uh, what course of action he would have taken. Yeah, it is. It is. It's pretty funny. And it, what makes it even funnier is like, this is coming from the man that went bankrupt spending too much money on his house <laughs> in Monticello. <laughs> like he was literally bankrupt because he spent too much money on on wine and uh, <laughs> and other things. But yeah, I, he, had, he had great financial ideas. I think just coming from somebody that's broke, you can't. <laughs> You know, you wonder how much you could you could actually trust him, but I I think a lot of his ideas are very valid when it when it comes to the yeah. economy and, and currency. Yeah, it seems seems consistent with uh, his other other uh, matters he was involved in. He was the idea guy, not necessarily the uh, implementer. Exactly. Yeah, maybe we can get to those. Um, maybe we should talk a little bit about his personal life. You know, we talked a little bit about. Um, I think one of the one of the looming dark clouds over the um, over over Jefferson is obviously his involvement with slavery, and um, and that's something you just you can't separate from the guy. Obviously, I mean, it's something that's part of history and and part of who he was. Um, yeah, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Because I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. It's it's really tough to separate. Um, Jefferson from this, you know, this, this, this guy that really valued high morals and, and standards and virtue. And then at the same time, you know, 
Um, yeah, he he violated human dignity basically at its core through the through slavery. So, what are you guys' thoughts on that? I'm, I'm curious to get your inputs. Yeah, I think it just goes to show, first of all, that nobody's perfect. Everyone has their flaws. We look at him, he's one of those people that if you didn't know about his personal life, you'd look on him as one of the, maybe one of the greatest, most brilliant men that ever lived with the just extremely high ideals, high values. But yeah, on the other hand, he also, um, yeah, poor. I don't remember what the Megyn Kelly podcast said. I think it was over 10 children, right, out of wedlock that he basically just let them let them go out and be um, intermingled with the rest of the world. He didn't didn't give too much thought to them after after a certain age. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's really tough. But you also you do have to put yourself um, if, in terms of the slavery question put yourself back into the time period and see that that was at the time that was a norm and that, you know, he actually did, he did realize that it was wrong. And I know he did get a little, he was a little more lax with it later in life, but he was, he was, um, he was actively seeking early on. Um, for a solution for abolitionism. But again, I think he, I think he went back and forth on it like he did with, uh, with a lot of other things we've touched upon his indecisiveness. I think this was a perfect example of it in that on one hand, I feel like maybe he was had a similar thought process to what Washington had because he was in the same period when it seemed to be dying out. And he thought that maybe it would do more harm than good to um, to introduce any type of legislature to end it, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a again like anything in that time period, a really really complicated person and situation. Yeah, to your point there, Jake. I think um, Clay Jenkinson, the the guy that was on um, the Megyn Kelly show, um, who's also the host of the Thomas Jefferson Hour um, in the show. Uh, really, really great. Uh, it seems like he's a great scholar and, and um, a student of a lot of Jefferson's work and writings. Um, he mentioned this, and I thought this was a really interesting point. Um, and that was, he said that Jefferson might have been the biggest voice against slavery at his time, had he not been born into a Southern slave-owning family. And he mentioned that Clay mentioned that, you know, a lot of times certain this is no way defending the actions of Jefferson, but in many ways, circumstances um, can dictate the actions you take. Um, so if he would have been born into, a, a, let's say, a northern state, um, maybe maybe Massachusetts um, and would have come from a different background he probably wouldn't have been a slave owner and he probably would have had um, probably a different approach and viewpoint on slavery. Um, so, and not to say that that's all, you know, we, we can't know that for a fact, but I thought that was a really interesting point. 
Um, Cause in no way do you want to defend the actions of Jefferson. Um, but at the same time, I mean, we should not be so quick to judge. I think most people today, whether you know it or you don't support industries that violate some core human rights. Um, whether it's buying clothes that are made in sweatshops in China uh, or supporting industries that are adult entertainment um, that then support child abuse or human trafficking. I mean, don't don't be so quick to, to throw the first stone when so many of us have um, supported some of these same core violations of human rights and and I think if you're looking at this 200, how, you know, if you think about it from this perspective, how will people look at what you do, what you're doing today, 200 years from now? And, and to say that you'll be, you know, this spotless lamb that did nothing wrong, I think is arrogant and ignorant. I think people in 200 years will look at what we did today is probably, um, at least most of us, probably as insane and, and ridiculous. And it's just part of where we're at currently in history and, and, and what society deems as moral and immoral. And so I think it's, it's one of those things that's really, really tough because we weren't living there 200, 250 years ago. Um, so it's a, it's a really challenging thing because it's this great moral dilemma. But at the end of the day, I think um, we have to look at what Jefferson did um, and try to separate the good from the bad. Yeah, no, totally, Aiden. I mean, it seems like that indecisiveness um, has carried through pretty much everywhere in his life. Like, he had these ideals, but he didn't know how to execute on them. So then, excuse me. He would come too close to an adversary, um, like too much an adversary. Um, he would kind of like back down and realize or think that he couldn't get through it. So it may have been like he was very anti-slavery, but then thought like, well, if this is a system I'm in, then maybe I should just use it while I'm in it, which probably isn't the best way to think about it. Um, but he may have been in a problematic situation. But I mean, Washington did free all of his slaves, so I think Jefferson could have done more for sure. Set an example. Yeah, I think so too. I think um, I think definitely there could have been more done on his part, especially with some of the ideas. I mean, he even um, drafted in the in the Declaration some some key points on slavery that then were removed, not by him, but by others that thought it would be uh, too controversial. So I think, you know, at heart, I think he knew slavery was wrong. I think, like you said, Tom, I think he, I think sometimes he just didn't have what it took to, to stand up for everything he believed in or, or wrote down. I think sometimes he got paralyzed by his own his own words and his own writings and just kind of got stuck in that. Yeah, I mean it's 
definitely hard because like what you were saying today about like how it's difficult to find like places and organizations that are pretty clean like like there's just more and more stuff that's involved with shady dealings and other things that aren't good that you're like Oof, like how do you get around it all so it, it definitely is a struggle and i think the way to the way to overcome the jefferson problem of indecision i think is doing the most of what we have right now so like taking like for instance maybe he could have done um advances in the plantation so that he could pay his workers and they would access the slaves things like that um so yeah it's it definitely is a hard situation but i think the the moral is you should do with what you have you should do what you can with what you have now for the best of your ability and generally speaking if you do that enough you'll find the ultimate answer and you'll be truly free absolutely absolutely yeah i think my key takeaway from all of this is um i think jefferson firmly believed in a more civil uh, society. Uh, it's something I think he truly believed the American people could strive for and could become is this very civil, well-rounded uh, society. And I think he believed that everybody could work together to bring about this civility and harmony. And I think that's something today that we're really seeing being destroyed. I think the American culture um, something that I think Jefferson really wanted to build and grow is being destroyed and there needs to be, um, there needs to be more civility in our society and there needs to be more harmony in our society. We need to work together to, to fix problems and address issues. And I think that's something that, that Jefferson, if he was around today, would be working towards doing, or at least be an advocate for, um, yeah, I think. One of the big factors in that is social media has, I think, in a certain sense, ruined the ability for civility in our nation. And I think that's largely due just to poor community, like promoting poor communication. You know, social media is this, this great, you know, you know, kind of promote as this great thing to bring people together and, and get people to talk. But when you look at the level of communication on social media versus the level of communication that you know, say Jefferson had with John Adams through his letters where they made amends over the last 10 years of their life. It's, it's completely night and day. These, these things are completely different. And I think, I think to a certain extent, social media has ruined our ability for civility in our nation. If we look at the last five years, even it's become extremely divisive. Um, and it's, it's truly ruined us in many ways, not only through our communication, but I mean, look at all these brain dead idiots scrolling their lives away on TikTok and Instagram. Um, they need to get a life. I mean, seriously, it's ridiculous. Um, and if they would spend more time, you know, reading like Jefferson would, I think we'd be a lot better off. Um, like seriously, anybody that spends their entire day scrolling um, needs an intervention uh, because, you know, they're a waste to society scrolling away. And, and they're adding no value to a more civilized, a more 
um, harmonious society. And, um, you know, think about that. 250 years ago, Thomas Jefferson wrote one of the most incredible pieces of, of writing in history at 33 years old. You know, 250 years ago, a bunch of 18-year-olds fought the greatest army in the world and won. Look at 18-year-olds now. I mean, they think it's okay to dress like a girl and prance around on TikTok. I mean, seriously, it's, it's disgusting. Um, and then if you don't even get me started on the comment sections on online, it's, it's like, seriously, how bad does your life suck that you have time to not only waste 11 hours scrolling, um, but then you have time to, you know, be a dickhead in the comment section and think you're, you know, you're a tough guy, you know? It's like newsflash, unless you're Elon Musk or Donald Trump, you're too broke to have time to be a, a keyboard warrior. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're a brokey. Yeah, you need to get a life, you need to get a job, you need to, you need to do something better to, um, you know, help, help society. So, you know, when you see all that, those you know, crappy comments um, online, it's like, you just got to ignore those because, you know, nobody has time for that. And it's just destroying, I think it's destroying our society because people think that they're, you, they're, they're wasting their time. And, and that time could be spent doing something valuable, like improving yourself in, in any way. And, and that, improve, that self-improvement will lead to a better society. Um, so yeah, instead of wasting your time and being an idiot, maybe try reading a book and then try mastering something that's worthwhile, you know, like Jefferson. I, I don't know. That's all I got. Yeah, no, totally agree with all of that. Um, I like the comparison you made between spending eight hours on TikTok versus Jefferson reading for 12, 15 hours a day. I mean, yeah, imagine the difference that would make if people even read a third of that. Yeah, spend 30 three minutes hours a day. A day. I yeah. Mean, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would be, world would be a completely different place. Yeah, but yeah, it is. It's yeah. just too easy now. It's too easy now to hide behind the screen and just insult and disrespect people that you disagree with. And it just shows that you don't have the intellectual capacity to actually hold your own in a in-person debate or conversation. I'm with you. I mean... I just was writing this down in our outline, like, I think what Aiden is saying is like, we're young and we have so much vitality within our lives, like we can do so much, like, you know, most of the men that formed America were like under 40 years old. I think George Washington was the oldest at 44, everyone else was like early 20s, maybe 30s, like Jefferson, like Jefferson and Washington were the oldies. They're like the, the old guys, like the greasers coming in and taking care of things. But like all the other guys are like 25 or younger. And like Lafayette, who led the French army to help us, was 19 as a general. 19 years old and a general. Like that's incredible. Like
so that's what I did. I just started working on um, like a list maker. And ever since then, it's like my therapy. Like if I'm having a rough day, I just start writing stuff down and just like start doing stuff and writing it off. And it's so good to feel like you've done something. And like, like Aiden's like, you're saying be a master instead of a scroller. Kind of sounds like a scroller you're being pushed by a stroller of someone else's mind. You know? like, <laughs> I like that. They're just they're just <laughs> yeah. pushing you around wherever they want to take you, and you win if something bad goes wrong. You're like, oh, I'm such a victim. It's like, come on, like mm-hmm. you let yourself be this way. Like, not that life isn't hard. Like, there's so many hard things, and there's some really tough stuff people deal with, and I really want to. Give a shout out to everyone who's doing this. I have no idea what they're doing this, but if you voluntarily give your power away, that is your responsibility. Absolutely. It's time to take accountability. Be accountable for yourself, right? Um, and, and, you know, unlike, I think one thing we can learn from Jefferson is don't be afraid to do something. Um, don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe in. Uh, don't, don't be afraid to not only write something, but then put it in action and live it out to its full, you, you know, live your, live your beliefs out to the fullest. Um, because, you know, life's short and, and there's no, we don't have the time to waste, waste anything. Um, and, and time is our most precious asset. So don't waste time. But yeah, do you guys have anything else to add or, or do you want to you want to wrap this up? I think we've we've covered a lot. And, you know, this was something I was a little worried about doing research for this podcast. I was like, are we going to have enough to talk about? But, you know, it seems like always the time sort of, you know, information starts to fill in. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I covered everything or if I missed anything. Is there anything we we missed here, guys, that we should cover before we close our thoughts out for the night? Nothing is sprouting the mind at the moment, but, well, actually, one thing, um, you had mentioned before, I didn't like, how Jefferson was such a master of the written word, like, he changed the word forever. Um, maybe we should become masters of the word again. I did, that's what this podcast really is about, is to understand what our founding fathers did, what Americans have done and how we can continue that vision forward. And as we as young people of America can do that, that, yeah, maybe that should be the focus this week is like, be a master of the word. Um, yeah, just like be conscious of what you want to say and what you want to mean when you say that. And then see what you can actually do with your mouth. Like, that's incredible what words can do. I mean, you can hear, I've heard of many stories of people's lives being changed where someone gave them a smile or said hello to them while they're walking by them in the street, and that saved them from committing suicide that day. One word or one smile. So just think of what you can do with the English language at your disposal, like the meaning you can convey to others, 
and the real fruit of life you can you can gain from it because I mean we are supposed to be creators and the 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 way we use words is how we create primarily absolutely absolutely and don't be afraid to be like jefferson throw out your bad ideas um so write out what you're going to say and then cut everything that's nonsense and then only say what is important right um, and if you want to up your game go to lifeline.com and sign up for our liberty bell it's free guys i mean if you haven't done this already what are you doing with your life um you probably didn't know about it so i'll give you a break here but now that you know about it if you're not signed up i'm disappointed in you um go to lifeline.com sign up for the liberty bell it will send you a text message every day with a new word to up your vocabulary game you'll become a better writer a better order i guarantee it uh, at the very least you'll up your vocabulary um, it'll give you the word pronunciation meaning you can't go wrong you'll get a new word every day I I'm signed up for it. You know, me and Tom created this. I'm signed up for it. So if I'm signed up for it, you can be signed up for it too. Um, so that's Liberty Bell um, at lifeline.com. Go sign up. Uh, we won't send you like random text messages. We're not going to go sell your information anywhere. Okay. Just putting that out there. Um, but yeah, final thoughts here. And I think we'll close it out with this. Um, these are just kind of some final thoughts I had written down because sometimes I lose my train of thought and go off on rants. Despite all the attempts, um, you know, recently from the woke mob trying to remove Jefferson uh, from our city centers, history, currency, books, and classrooms, I think Thomas Jefferson and his ideas will live on. And I think that's the hope. Uh, we must learn to separate a person's good work from their misdeeds. And that's critically important here. Jefferson is responsible for writing a declaration, which is not, which has been used um, not only in the US as a cry for freedom, but a cry for freedom and count, countless other times by heroes across the globe. And why? Um, because the message is universal. And that is that, and I quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So with that, guys, let's close this one out. Have a great week. Um, be a good neighbor, be a good person, but most importantly, be a good American. Peace.